We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour. I'm Sharon Kleina. The Power of Water. Are we all learning it this last year, 2011? Water all over the world. If it's not the tsunami, it's a hurricane, it's flooding, it's no water in Kenya. Uh, you know, we've been in Kenya with our show at the conservatory with uh, the doctors and uh, the endangered animals and the children who are dying in countries of the world with no water. So we've gone, we've had a quite a bit of examples this last 2011 when we've had a lot of fresh water coming down, not knowing what to do with it at the moment. And then there's countries of the world where we have 5,000 children dying a day. Can you imagine 5,000 children a day? Now, I've always said there's no thing as an imperfect child. They're all perfect, and they depend upon you and I, all of us. But is there a, water, is there a war going on to protect those 5,000 innocent children? What are we going to war for? Are we declare, what are we doing to protect these children? This is a concern to me. I think we've got something wrong here. And the most important part of our planet is the water, fresh water. We've got something wrong here. We've got to think this out. And this is what the show is all about. Earth will continue to change, of course. It has from the beginning. All life has changed on, on, on the Earth, too. And for life to survive for eternity, we must learn to adapt and learn to live with those changes. And we, but the first priority is the water. And I had a special guest on the other day, and he and I were talking to doctor about how important it is to drink water. You're 50 trillion cells, and your life on the earth is water, fresh water. Without the water, what happens to your cells? And your cells begin to deplete. You may not live as long as somebody who likes to drink good, clean, fresh water. So as you're thinking about how important it is for the planet Earth to have water, you can think about the countries of the world like Iraq and Iran and, and uh, Saudi Arabia and Syria and, and different countries of the world uh, who do not have, you can see the sand. They don't have the water that they once had way back in time. And that can happen. So water wars were going on so long ago because people needed water to survive. Without the water, there is no survival. So you go and have water wars to conquer other villages and towns and cities and other countries. So stop and think about how important this show can be. 
we can do this together. And I'm serious about what we're trying to do here. But our health issues are vital to how we live with the Earth, and the planet Earth is now recognizing there's a Mars. And we've heard about Mars and uh, other planets in, in the solar system, but now Mars may have water. So let's think about, oh my, and the Earth has the water. Well, does the Earth have a responsibility to the whole solar system to make sure that we take care of eternity? So work, uh, this is important. About a week ago, they had in Sweden World Water Week, and it's been going on by the Rolla family in Sweden for years. The World Water Week was August 22nd, 2011 now, and they do it every year. They bring people from all over the world to join them and try to decide what we can do for all global eaters and individuals to become involved in protecting the water, educating the water. So, uh, And your health is vital to everything for you personally to live, and this is what the show is about. Today we have one of my favorite guests on. It's very exciting. Dwayne Cecil, who's a Ph.D., he's Western Region Director of Climate Services for NOAA, and he's out of Salt Lake City. Dwayne has been with NASA, U.S. Geological Survey, and now he's with the Climate Services Study uh, and understanding what we need to learn about water. And is it timely today? Because am I going to have a lot of questions? And he is really good about answering all those questions and teaching us so we'll understand what it's all about. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Did you know that the surface of your eyes is 99% water? That when you apply an eye drop on the eye, what does it do to the water? It floods it. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only handheld, portable, movement a device able to miss the eyes, give it what it needs, the nutrition, the thirst quenching. I just recently had a chronic condition with my right eye. I will tell you, when I was driving, if I didn't have it, I would have been in trouble. And then I found myself, it came back again. If I didn't have nature's tears I missed, I would not be able to solve my problem at the moment. So anyone behind the computer, allergies, what is an allergy? Dry eye, getting thirsty. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Miss, and we'll be right back with Dwayne Cecil. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening. 
listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Wayne, are you with us? Yes, I am. Well, thank you for taking your time today. It sure is timely. Um, all the study and the time that you've taken with your background and research, my gosh, can you imagine what's going on all over the world in 2011? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, you know, NOAA tracks uh, natural uh, events and natural disasters that, that are costing the nation a billion dollars or more each, and we've broken that record in the hurricane season just started. Yes. We've yeah. already had uh, over nine events that that have cost the the, the economy in the country a, a billion dollars, and and Irene is the latest, I'm sure. And you know, Dwayne, that's something that people don't realize that we need to bring it to their mind. That's why the government has a position in our world that we live in too. Is they're there to prepare and bank in a savings account anything to do with what we need for our safety and for emergencies and our welfare. Uh, as far as um, taking care of us, research about other planets, uh, going out into space, uh, how the climate control, uh, that's what the government is there for, for those reasons. And uh, I hope to gosh they've got it prepared for because there was, uh, we've had it all this last year. Um, if it wasn't drought in Texas, it's been the rains coming down. You know, Dwayne, I was going to ask you, and I'm going to ask you right at the beginning of the show, what has ever been studied to to save the rain as it comes down before it gets too polluted? Because we don't want to run out of water, fresh water. What are they doing out there to research how to save the rain? Well, Not actually, just when it hits the ground. Yeah, yeah no, that's that's a good question. I'm, uh, one example that, that uh, I'm familiar with is uh, the city of Chicago has an, an interactive online uh, decision support tool that you can look at areas of a city and determine, uh, for instance, how much water you could conserve by by um, constructing green roofs, for instance, on on skyscrapers. And and so Chicago and New York City as well have been real progressive in and looking at how do we um, capture rainwater how do we recycle uh, you know a lot of uh, especially cities like Los Angeles now are are looking at how do we recycle the gray water which normally would uh, would be somewhat treated not treated enough for drinking water and then and then uh, put out to the sea out to the ocean and now they're looking at how do we recycle that and use that water so especially large urban areas in this country and around the world are starting to look at you know, how do we capture that rainwater? How do we store it? Um, there's also been a, a patent issue for uh, putting blankets on glaciers to protect them from sunshine and, and to, to protect the water and, and, and save the water. And I think as the world's population increases, uh, water resources become more and more stressed uh, from urban sprawl, invasive species, all kinds of things going on in the environment that, that the water, conserving the water, capturing and conserving the water is going to become uh, a great industry, I think. Tell us about the roofs, uh, the new roofs. Uh, what type of roof is it, and what are they doing for well, the looking, drip system you know, they're, coming they're off actually, the roof? They're actually constructing these rooftops uh, with plant materials that will uh, capture the water, and then they 
um, let the water run off of where these planted areas are and then capture the water on the roof. I've lost you. I know the lot. Of, what do you mean planted materials on the roof? Um, like grasses that, that will, oh, that will, okay. the water will come down, run over the grasses, and then they, they catch them, catch the water in basins. And then it also um, makes it uh, more efficient to, to cool these buildings. Oh, and yes, to heat them, would. And to heat them as well. Now, when I was in Tokyo last year, um, I was staying at the hill. When I flew, first flew in, I couldn't believe how they were so uh, um, proactive about their environmental thinking. And it sounds kind of funny right now because of what happened with the nuclear plant, but, again, it happened. And, right. uh, and they're very proactive about the environment. Uh, they really are audience. And um, when I went, we'd stay at the Hilton's, and we went to the Hilton, and we were high enough at the Hilton, I could look down in some buildings, and I saw those grass uh, roofs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I should say planted lawns, grass on roofs. Right. And uh, now, does the grass on the roof filter out some of the pollutant by chance? Um, you know, I think I think that's possible. I'm not sure about the details on that, but right. um, I, I think that, that, that some of that is being accounted for as well. But Now, our it, planet Earth, granite has played a very important role, hasn't it? It has. And gran- granite is a filter system, right? Well, uh all kinds of, of rock materials act as filters. I mean, that's that's really the key to the pristine groundwater that we still do have. Uh, uh-huh. Most of that water, that recharge water, is moving through gravels and soils and, and uh, uh, rocks. Right. And being right. filtered out. Yeah, and I was thinking recently, now we have on this planet... Um, a lot of challenges going on. What's going on in Kenya? Uh, they're getting that severe drought that they were so worried about. And uh, our show one time, uh, Dwayne was in Kenya at the conservatory, and uh, to listen to what might be, and they're really getting it. And then we've got those children out there that I worry about. That someday, Dwayne, when I finally get a moment in time and the funding. Um, I'm going to go over there, and I'll probably take you and many other people, and we're going to figure out how those kids that are born can get those get the water and pre- take care of the water and have uh, water communities in their countries so children are not dying because they don't have water. See, people don't realize when you see this protruding abdomen that sticks way out and the body is so bony, let's just emancipated, but um, uh, it... Um, there, there. That's that's dehydration to its worst. Right, right, and I, you know, I think in this country especially, we've we just take it for granted that we can walk over to the faucet and, and turn the faucet on, and we have water for drinking and showers and doing well, the our other dishes. Thing and laundry. We just take it for too. granted. Yeah, you're probably studying this. Is that even in our country, some of the states that didn't take care of their water are going to other states and getting their water, and someday. That spigot will be turned off. States are going to have to start taking care of themselves in time. Right. Yeah, we're already seeing that. And in, are, are you, you seeing that? Yes. And you said earlier, you know, you talked about the drought in Texas and Oklahoma. They've had records broken for 100 consecutive 100-degree days, 100-plus-degree days. And this is after three, four years of severe drought. So there's some real problems in, in Texas and Oklahoma now mm-hmm. trying trying to address those problems and looking at neighboring states and, and neighboring states 
drought plans and, and starting to build regional drought early warning systems to try to respond and, and to help each other regionally. Uh, we're seeing that in the southeast as well. Georgia a couple years ago had a, uh, was in a, a severe drought and was looking to neighboring states for, for help. So we're starting to build those regional drought early warning systems and, and look at each, each state's drought plan and, and help each other respond. Well, explain to us today what, you got, what uh, you've been doing with your group. Uh, you're directing several states, heading a research project in understanding what the climate uh, changes and uh, the water. What are you right. finding? Well, my my position in NOAA is is really as a uh, facilitator and, and coordinator of, of climate science information to folks that need that information to get the information to them in, in an, an understandable format, a usable format, in, in the way that they need that. Well, when you just said that, I'm going to ask you something. Okay. <laughs> and don't don't be shy. When you hand that over to these people, do they really understand what you're saying? What you're thinking? Um, you know, it really depends on what the topic is, who the per, who the who the user of the information is. But are is. they taking it serious? Um, they are. I mean, if they okay. if they especially the ones that come to us and say, "Look, you know, you're providing weather and climate information. Uh, we rely on the weather forecast. We all make jokes about the weather forecast, but every one of us every day looks at weather forecasts. Yeah. And makes our plans for, for instance, for a weekend family picnic. Uh, farmers look at our 90-day to seasonal forecast to to think about um, are there going to be drought conditions? You know, how well can we predict that 90 days out? Mm-hmm. And so, people that come to us looking for that information already have some some basic understanding and at least think they know what other kinds of information they need. On the other hand, when we go out to organizations like the Western Governors Association and we meet with them and and tell them what kinds of information, what kinds of data and observations that we have and what kind of tools we could build from those observations, they often don't uh, see a need. So the way to get their attention and show them that that this science information is useful is is the way that I do that is bring it back to water. Mm -hmm. When you go to any Western governor and talk about water, that's number one priority for all of them. Mm-hmm. That's key to development, it's key to agriculture, forestry, it's key to every state in the West. Mm-hmm. And so when you approach them that way, they understand water. They have people on their staffs that concentrate on tracking water resources uh, from availability to quality of water resources in their states. And when you talk to them about the effects of climate variability and change and changing in extreme weather events on water resources. Now you have their attention. Now they understand the science. And if they don't, they they will ask you to explain to them in terms that they can understand the science because it, now it's it's brought home to them. It's impacting their water resources in their state. That affects all of their constituency in those states. So they, now you've got their attention. And so it's a good question. You know, a lot of people, we used to go out and have town hall meetings and talk about climate variability and change. And when you're in a conservative state um, in the West, and there's several of them, and you have farmers and ranchers in the room that are worried about what, what their crops and their livestock are going to do right now. And they don't want a, some scientists from the government coming in and talking to them about 
what the climate's going to be like a century from now. That was the wrong approach. We, th- we as scientists thought, well, I understand now what I think is going to happen in the next decade or century with the climate in this part of the country. I need to go tell the farmers and the ranchers and the water purveyors and the decision makers on the city level what I've discovered in the science, and it really was the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. And they just flat told us that. Well, you know, that's, that's great that you have some confidence. You're not 100% sure what's going to happen 10 years from now, but you have some level of confidence. I need to know what's going to happen in the next 90 days. That kind of feedback is essential mm-hmm. to applied scientists. And, and all of us need to be applied scientists now. We, we, in my opinion, we can no longer do research. You're sm- reminding just to, just me of something. I, well, I live in Oregon, in mm-hmm. southern Oregon. Yes. And timber was a big deal over here. Yes. And you're saying something that is so important that I need to mention to you and to the world, too, is one time I was invited years ago to be doing a research project on something in, of the past and then uh, bringing it to the future, and the government was coming in for a meeting to our community. So as I'm listening to the government tell us with their report, their representation, all of a sudden it dawned on me, nobody in that audience understood a word that person was saying. Yep. Because they're there to hear common sense. And then when I came to do my review, and I'll call it, let's call what you're doing is, you're going in and giving them an analysis, a theory, something that is happening and what might be. And uh, when you go to talk to people on the ground, and even if it's a governor or another scientist, maybe the other scientist has another specialty. That's not their specialty. So when you go in, we have to keep to common sense with uh, some of the presentation because you're right, Dwayne. Nobody is going to walk away uh, and have it embedded in their thinking and go and read it the way they should be reading it, they'll walk away and get something else on their mind and really forget almost everything you said unless it made common sense. Right. Yeah, you they'll have to bring it. it home. You have to bring it home to, to something. I don't care that... who, if it was Einstein. I don't care who it is. You're right. It, uh, yeah. We're all having something on our mind. And as we walk away, it's how we, the common sense of what it might have been to uh, embed in our thinking something we will remember mm-hmm. and, and the uh, words that were chosen by inventors of, of words uh, sometimes are more challenging because we don't get it. And the word water, if we don't get it, we're in trouble. Absolutely. In fact, we had a doctor's, uh, I've been having some different doctors on here with nutrition and studies and stuff. And we've been talking about the new nutrition chart. It's, it's a plate this time. And they, had, they did not have one glass of water again. And they spent millions of dollars, the agriculture group, putting this pyramid together. One was a pyramid for nutrition. Now this one's a plate. They didn't have a glass of water. Now, how could the agriculture department ever forget water? Amazing. I know. We're, that, well, this is, the, this is what has happened. Is well, again, our common, I think our in common this, sense. Well, again, in this country, I think we, we take it for granted that we're always going to have it, we're going to have as much as we want, and it's going to be the best quality. And that is beginning to not be the case. I bet case. they said that in Iraq one time, too, when they had all those gorgeous canals and those wetlands. Right. And at one time in history, and they're gone. And look at it and, now. Yeah, yeah, and uh, in every country of the world, it became a sand dune. Um, 
maybe Arizona at one time. Uh, you know, you look at uh, people taking what for granted, but without the water, there is no survival. Yeah. You probably heard me at the beginning of the show talking, it is so strange that we're going out fighting wars uh, to, uh, to what? To save people's lives, maybe. Uh, and But those children that are dying a day, several thousand a day, because there's no water. Nobody's fighting for them. And I take that serious, Dwayne. I really do. And when this, when I finally get some time to go out into the world, I'll be dialing you and everybody else up saying, hey, come on, we're going to go do something over there. No, I, and uh, and I, we're going to make some go. common sense and get the villages uh, thinking about the water. It's like when I had the head of the United Nations concerning water. And I said, you know, stop and think, Dwayne. And I said to them, we can think about the drinking of the water, but they have no sanitation, period. It's always behind the tree. And then right. would they be washing their hands? And then what would they be touching? I mean, my gosh, in heaven, there's by, and, it's, and drinking water and, care, and the women that are carrying that water every day to survive their family with their children not being able to go to school because they're trying to help them. And that could, that'll happen here in time if we don't think ahead for our generations. That's how important Absolutely our own right. footprints are to our lives today, is, is making sure that we're becoming immortal to leave behind. But number one has to be the water concerns. Now, back to other ways of preserving the rain, um, before I move on to some other questions. Um, what are they doing, what else, to preserve the rain in different areas? Is there a... Play, is there a a state or a city that's really good at it? Um, you know, Arizona has has really put a lot of, of effort into, uh, because it, it, it is a, um, most of the, a big part of the state is, is semi-arid and arid. They've put a lot of, of effort into trying to preserve water. And, you know, nobody really has been able to figure out in these large reservoirs in the West, um, how do we... Um, at least measure in a, in a quantitative and a really accurate way the evapotranspiration from large reservoir services. And we're still even working on the science of that. And that's, that's one of the uh, inputs to the uh, regional climate models that we don't have a good handle on is the, the evapotranspiration. How much, we, we can measure how much precipitation is coming down, but how much is le leaving through plant respiration, through the leaves of the plants, how much is leaving from the surface of the reservoirs that we depend on for our water supplies? We, we don't have a real good way of measuring that yet, and we're, we're, we're working. There's a lot of people putting a lot of effort into trying to understand that better. Now you're talking but, about the evaporation of the water that comes into the air for the humidity. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and so in our climate models, that's, that's one of the variables in our climate models that we don't have a real good handle on. So we we generalize that. And that's one of the criticisms of, of climate models. And I think it's a legitimate criticism is, you know, how, how well are these models really representing natural systems out there? And mm -hmm. so we're, we are working on observational tools to try to better understand and measure evapotranspiration and, and get it into our conceptual models of how we think things are working out there and then use the computer models to, to test those concepts. Mm -hmm. so that we can better predict really what decision makers want. And we've learned this as scientists in, in the federal government, in the federal sector. We've learned that if we go into a region and we include the people that are going to be using the information to include them in designing the research, 
We get much better product. They get what they're after. And so that's what we're doing now. And what we find time and time again in the West is the users of climate variability and change information want 90-day to two-year seasonal forecasts. And we're, we don't have a lot of skill in that time period right now. Longer time periods, decades to centuries, uh, we have better skill with our models. Uh, weather forecasts out to about two weeks, we have pretty good skill. But it's that two-week to two-year time period that everybody cares about. Mm-hmm. If I'm a water purveyor, I want to know what's going to happen next spring so that I either have to plan my water systems are going to be under drought conditions or they're going to be under flood conditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those we're really trying to build observational systems, and everybody's trying to work on well. It'd be also becoming the communities better. and their own water resources and their rivers and their streams uh, that are uh, the city water systems. Uh, everybody would be wanting to know what's happening two years down the road, not just tomorrow. Exactly, and and what we've been doing in the past, and I, and I said this earlier, what we've been doing as climate scientists in the past is ten year to a hundred year forecasts of what we think regional and global climate is going to do well you know the decision maker that has to make the decision now on on what they're going to do with crops or water mm-hmm. or forestry in the next year that that's the kind of information they want and and they want us as scientists to give them some kind of level of confidence in that prediction that we make and so it's we're all in this in the Earth science community looking at better observations over that time period. Dwayne, there's another side is that we're noticing out there more insects, more uh, small little creatures of worms that are turning into moths, and and there's a lot of changes going on. So when you're out there studying about what is happening with the climate change and the temperature of our humidity and how much humidity and the water on the surface of the earth and all that is happening uh, out there to influence our lives, that we found that uh, all of a sudden there's infestations going on of eating our our, uh, trees, eating our bushes, eating everything. Right. Uh, Those kind of uh, insects and moths and beetles and whatever it may be, you're also probably studying what that infestation would be, that problem would be of a devastation uh, for that year to come that people could prepare for. Well, and the case in point is the, the pine bark beetle. And it's, right. it's it's moving further and further north. It's getting into southern Canada now. Um, it, it's in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it, it's it's all over Colorado, New Mexico. And, and it's moving. And what we think is happening, and, and I've looked at, at several studies that have looked at this in detail, and, and what those researchers think is happening is the winters are milder mm-hmm. and not enough cold weather and there's not enough cold weather and the beetle is not dormant long enough and so they're starting to move further and further north and that's just one example uh, another example is we're seeing earlier and earlier in the spring the runoff uh, from snowpack in mountains is happening earlier and earlier each spring mm-hmm so it affects water resources, it affects forestry resources, it affects agriculture, and, and we're trying to track it as best we can. And the, the problem is, Sharon, is that a lot of these kinds of changes that we see in the environment, by the time we document them and can observe them on a systematic basis, 
the ecosystem has already changed. We're already already changed. past the tipping point. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 called nature. <laughs> yes. Yep. It is. In fact, uh, uh, we're going to listen to our sponsor, and we're going to come back, and we're going to get you to talk about Mars with us too. But we are having here in Southern Oregon, in the Grants Pass area, this. Uh, these uh, they look like cobwebs and all these different nut trees and certain types of trees, not all the trees, but all over the place, these cobwebs full of worms that turn into moss. Yep. And they're eating up the, the leaves, they're eating, and they're dropping. Um, they're just unbelievably, uh, and we have to just look at it. It can make you almost feel creepy crawly, but it's a nature and uh, these moths, uh, Dwayne, are, are pure white with mm-hmm. little pink eyes. And they're the strangest moth I ever saw. We had them a little bit last year, but this year, because we didn't have a cold winter, they're really out there all over the trees. And uh, just unbelievable, eating up the leaves and, and the trees. If you don't get the first one, they just take off. And if people don't think, and they weren't thinking fast enough to, be, to stop them. Uh, in the trees of, around the, the communities and in near people's homes. We're going to listen to our sponsor, uh, and we'll be right back, and we're going to get you to talk to us about Mars, and okay. we're going to talk about the solar system out there, too. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. With just a mist, your eyes need a thirst also because there's 99% water at the surface. When you have a grainy red blurry, drowsy, tired eye, you have dry eyes. Did you know that's called dry eye? Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature Tears Eye Mist, and we'll be right back with Dwayne Cecil. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dwayne, recently uh, we did a press release that did so well. We were very excited that people took interest in uh, that planet Earth has the water and could be influencing the solar system. And, and um, people were so fascinated. And there was a lot of uh, individuals who wrote about it throughout the country about our press release. And it's serious because when you all, we were talking about our planet Earth and the water, but can you imagine that when the shuttle goes out into the solar system to study what what is happening in the solar system, but it's also 
understanding the influence that Earth has on our universe and the universe has an influence on Earth. I'm convinced the water is a big part of this. Uh, tell us about what they're learning about Mars and water. Well, um, I don't know if you know this or not, Sharon, but, but NASA has come up with a slogan for, for the uh, Martian missions and the Martian research that's being conducted and that, that they've conducted over the years, and, and that slogan is follow the water. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is the slogan for, their, for, for the Martian missions and research. And, and the idea there is if we are looking at a – a human mission to Mars, and we'll have scientists and, and astronauts and technicians and engineers there for any experience, any extended period of time. Is the planet habitable, and what would mm-hmm. we need to take to to spend some time there? And so the idea is, if if you follow the signs of water on the planet, you and you find it, then as as far as hum, humans are concerned, then you you probably have some habitable conditions for humans. So that's the source of the, of the slogan, follow the water. Mm-hmm. Mars does have ice caps, which obviously is frozen water. Mm-hmm. So it's had some significant water at, at some time in its history. And some scientists believe that there was a large ocean in the northern hemisphere on Mars. And they have some evidence that they're they're using to, to make that conclusion. But now, you just said something. You mean sometime in history. So you believe that maybe the water that's been discovered that might be there was the past, uh, not yes, coming to new f- fruition for new futures? Yeah, that, that's very possible. And, and oh, so some okay. of the missions that are going to Mars now, there's, there's one that's uh, going to be launched later this year called mm-hmm. Curiosity. And Curiosity's mission is uh, back to the slogan. Back to the slogan, uh, Curiosity's mission is beyond follow the water. So Curiosity is is a an instrument platform that's not only going to be looking for water or evidences of past water resources. Okay. But it also is going to be taking soil samples and rock samples and doing organic compound analyses mm-hmm. to look for mm-hmm. uh, the building blocks of life. Mm-hmm. So that one's uh, launching in the fall of this year. I think mm-hmm. uh, November, I believe, is the launch date for that. Uh, the next mission is called MAVEN, and it launches in 2013, M-A-V-E-N. And it's going to be looking at the upper atmosphere, the, the chemistry and the makeup of the upper atmosphere of Mars. And the reason there is to try to understand how quickly the, the surface of the planet is changing with interactions in the atmosphere and how it may have changed in the past. In other words, if there were large water resources, are there kind of chemical reactions that are going on now in the atmosphere that could give us clues as to what those water resources may have now, looked like? Now, you're targeting something that I really has said many, many years ago. There has not been enough, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we have studied enough of the atmosphere, the air we're living in. Um, because you just said, too, it, it, it's important to understand these planets and different directions of research, what is happening in the air around them. Right. And do you remember, you probably don't, but because you're you're so into what you do for your research, but one of my novice and layman expressions to you when we were talking about water 
on the moon or wherever they would find it, when they would find it, did they go out into the atmosphere, the air, and see how much humidity? Where's What's going on out there? And I asked you, did they check for moisture away from that area out in the universe around it? Mm-hmm. Because to me, that's the, what the air we're living in is how you're living. It's, oh, that's right. It's everything. We, if, if without the fresh water and the water on the surface of the earth, there is no humidity called water in the air that we don't see. It changes its temperature. It's there, but it's what's keeping our organism alive. Yes, we must drink eight to ten glasses of water a day, but you must have moisture around you. If you don't have enough, we need to supplement that by drinking water, and then we wear protective clothing, and now we're learning more about sunglasses. I don't know if you know this, Dwayne, but they're finally deciding that we probably should wear sunglasses year-round outside it and little kids because there is a radiation there that may be sensitive to different ones of us. We don't know which one. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's the way we live our lives with our skin cut tones. And the skin tone, wherever that skin tone begins on Earth, the darker the skin, the oilier the skin for weather reasons. There, the skin colors were chosen because of the weather at the moment, way back in time. And uh, so the atmosphere is very important. Well, and that's that is the the goal of the of the Maven mission is to to try to under, better understand how and why the atmosphere around Mars has changed and and mm-hmm. how quickly it has changed and how how is it changing now and and use that information then to construct back construct history of the surface of Mars and and see if there were um, water resources large water resources at the surface. Mm -hmm. Now, Curiosity is actually targeted to land in a large crater, which is in a low area. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, water runs downhill. So that area was was selected specifically for that reason. Mm -hmm. So Curiosity will be not only looking, again, not only looking for for water resources at or near the surface of Mars, but also will be looking for organic compounds, organic molecules Mm -hmm. in the soils. Mm Mm-hmm. So those are the two missions that, that are, are coming up soon. Um, again, Curiosity is, is November of, of this year, and, and MAVEN launches in, in 2013. Mm-hmm. So what have you been learning about these different states? Uh, we, were, we did go into a direction where you felt like the governors were very serious about what was going on in the state to survive the state for business reasons and all humanitarian reasons. Are you... Is there some new projects happening that you're working to, uh, that you've got? Let's put a priority project. What would be your priority project to get people serious about, uh, or get involved in the water? Right. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, we just um, attended the Western Governors Association's annual meeting in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. The sitting chair uh, this past year was Governor Butch Otter of Idaho. So, um, the sitting chair, they have their annual meeting in those states. So it was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, beautiful part of the state up in the north, beautiful lakes, some of the prettiest lakes in the some world. beautiful water. Yeah, It really is. It's just a just a gorgeous area. So I thought it was a great place to have that meeting. Uh, the significance of the meeting was the administrator for NOAA, uh, Dr. Jane Lubchenco, who came to NOAA from uh, Oregon State University, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. Um, she attended the meeting to sign a memorandum of understanding between NOAA and the Western Governors Association to uh, partner more closely and, and collaborate more closely 
in providing timely climate information and, and climate services to the Western Governors Association. So that that by formalizing that in a memorandum of understanding, it, it makes it, um, at least in theory, it makes it easier for us to respond and, and to provide information to any of the member states of the Western Governors Association, which is 18 states and, and uh, uh, some of the Pacific uh, territories like Guam um, are also members. Mm-hmm. So that formalizing that uh, through a memorandum, memorandum of understanding gives us then the opportunity to develop things like right now um, uh, I've provided some information to the uh, Utah Transit Authority in Salt Lake City that they're uh, applying for a federal grant to put together a um, climate variability and change adaptation and, and mitigation plan for uh, mass transit system in the Salt Lake Valley. So through that memorandum of understanding, we're, we're able to work more quickly together and, and to reach our, our common goals in a more systematic way. So that's it's exciting that that's in place. We're still... Now, I'm going to ask you a question yes, that I know sir. somebody in the audience who probably had the brain thinking about it, too. Why would they turn to you for the transit system? Uh, they turn to us for the climate information to build their adaptation oh, plan. Oh, during the building time. Right. They're building okay, their adaptation not, not plan now. For their, not for what is happening with the climate in different parts of where the, the, this will all be built and completely done, but as they're building, they know what the climate will be during the time of building, so they'll, they'll know what some of the challenges will be that cost a lot of money if you can't complete your project because uh, the climate has changed at that time. There's much more rain or storming or in your country snow right <laughs> or, or again the spring runoff comes earlier and, okay and there we are go there, uh-huh. are there years that the spring runoff okay. is going to be more significant are there going to be extreme what kind of extreme events should we plan for when we build our transit systems there we we, we typically here in the united states engineer uh, roads and bridges and infrastructure for uh, 40 50 years of life and and don't usually take extreme events like floods and drought into account. And so now we're starting to do that. So we're wow. we're providing information to them mm-hmm. on extreme events. How how many have we had in the in the past history? What level can we expect them in the next 10, 20 years? Mm-hmm. What level of confidence can we tell them that we think we might have that kind of an extreme event? And they build that in then into their plans. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's an that's an example of where we're going to be able to do things more quickly and in a more collaborative way in the West with the Western Governors Association. Um, another project that I've been working on with NASA, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before, is we have taken a look at uh, um, changes in, in climate variability and change over the next uh, five, ten years and the effects on agriculture. We looked at um, corn production in Central America. We had some um, some work with the with the um, agricultural secretary in Panama that needed some information that what's going to happen to corn production over the next five ten years. We've mm-hmm. taken that project now and we're working with peanut farmers in the southeastern United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of extreme events, drought, floods, can they expect uh, in the insects next five ten and, years? And, pro- and problems of insects and exactly predators that change the crop. Yeah, you bet, you bet. That's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. So we're working on those. And another thing that, that 
I just introduced you to a couple weeks ago that I think is very exciting is this conference that's coming up in, in Bozeman, Montana in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. the uh, Sustaining the Blue Planet. And it really is focused on a global scale. It's, it's put on by WET, which is Water Education and Training nonprofit organization that looks globally on how do we include children and young adults Mm -hmm. in learning about water. Uh And that that conference is coming up in in just a couple weeks in Bozeman, Montana. And it's it's really, I mean, if if you took the Sharon Kleiner Hour, your radio show, and said, if we moved this out and, and, and tried to educate more children and young adults on a global scale, how would we do it? Well, that's really Project Wet. Mm-hmm. Is really getting at the same kinds of things and issues that you raise every week in your show, right? So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I would have liked to, I would like to go, and I we're still trying to figure it out. But I noticed that one of your sponsors is Nestle uh, uh, there, it, and it, uh, it one of it the is. leading forces of water issues all over the world, out of Switzerland. Yep. Yeah, yeah um, and I wanted to give them a little plug because I really admire who they are on what they're doing with water. Um, wanted to say uh, something about the Bozeman thing. Now, what is the, what are you going to try to accomplish there? I mean, do we, we're gonna, you're going to get together and you're going to try to get the word out in education, but what is the priority? What do you have on your number one? The priority is how do we how do we build a, a sustainable, systematic way to educate children and young adults on a sustained basis on a global scale and and you know what it comes down to you know what you know what I'm going to say Sharon what it comes down to is funding and how do we get the decision makers in places like Washington and Paris and London and Tokyo and and in the Middle East all over the world the decision makers how do we get them to understand that it's really the next generation that you know, we, we have to spend some money on training and making the next generation aware of of the science that's needed, the engineering that's needed, the management of resources that's needed. And we have an obligation, I think, to turn over, and you've, I've heard you say this many times, to turn over to them the resources in the best condition that we can turn, o- turn over to them and, and offer them our experiences and, and let them make their choices. And really, how do we do that in a sustained way on a global scale? Well, you know what I find, too, Dwayne, is, you know, I've done something with my research that nobody had ever attempted, and I studied the air and what it's doing to human life and life, and uh, what is necessary to keep up with that. Like, we wear clothing, and we have other things we do to brush our teeth, but I started studying the air, and how do you supplement that? Because the future of it is just devastating. We need to supplement, but the story... Um, when people hear the story of whatever has happened in the past, of, of what did, people didn't prepare, and then there's the education that goes with the story, because I believe that children, this story should begin with education in in young schools, uh, because they will then take it serious. But if they think it's just the, the word research and science, for some reason, it's just meshing away. It's just it's not in a, but if you get a story of what has happened to, in the past when this wasn't thought out. Now, I need to tell you, and I thought of this just now real quickly, um, I was asked to come to a school in Upper New York, Blue Mountain Middle School, about uh, a year ago and speak to a group of children and an audience. And uh, they were, their study was coming up 
uh, to study water of the planet Earth. So I happened to know one of the faculty members I knew, and she said, if, if, if you're ever in Manhattan, I'd love to have you come. And I said, well, I am going to be in Manhattan, and I'll come. So I got on the train and went up to Hudson, and here came the children, and they wanted me to be on stage. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to be down on the floor with the kids. And I went two mics. And Dwayne, this is the honest to God truth, these children. Uh, they came into the audience, into the uh, into the pavilion, um, into the area, and sat in, in the bleachers and and chairs. Actually, it was an auditorium, and the faculty came in by no end of faculty. And I said, "Well, you sure have a lot of faculty." And they said, "Well, for all these kids." And they said, "Well, because they're going to probably get bored, and you know, we don't want them to just staring around." <laughs> Dwayne, I got them in a trance because I turned to them when they first sat down in the quiet after I was introduced. I said, "Do you know that you're water?" And I got them all the way through that. They were sitting there like they were a glass of water. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to live without it? And I had them, and Dwayne, they ended up staying uh, 15 minutes longer. They were there for one solid hour. I missed my train. <laughs> they were so engrossed. You could have heard a pinfall. And middle school students were fascinated because I started out with the water and who they are, came forward to where we're at, and absolutely, they were, they, when it was all over, Dwayne, I got a standing cheering ovation. Well, excellent. Over water. Excellent. excellent. I know. And, we and need, we need I could more have like cried, you. but I didn't. And I, I told myself, come on, don't you dare cry because they'll think you're not strong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, need, but, we need more passionate teachers. Well, Especially on I think this topic. The, story, the story of where we come from, what has happened to those who didn't think that way? And we have great examples of countries that didn't think that way because they weren't modernized yet. Mm-hmm. But we're modernized, and, and children want to learn. They want to learn. You bet and they do. Uh, we're here to teach, and that's why those children dying a day. We're there for them. My gosh, we're fighting wars over what? We should get several thousand children dying a day, and then they get mad because some people died holding guns. These children can't do anything to protect themselves. No, and it's it, our priorities are all mixed up. There, well, we there are only have a minute left, and yeah, I would like you to close off and say what you would like to say to the audience. Well, what I would like to say is is don't give up hope and 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 focus on the water. Focus uh, on the water. Yes. Well, thank you for all your time again and all the dedication to what you're doing. Thank you. I sure enjoy having you on because we learn a lot. Thank you. I I enjoy this hour tremendously. Thank you, Dwayne. You have a nice day, and be you well. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, Earth does have secrets, and this show is bringing out those secrets all the time. Did you know I never talk to our uh, our guests before the show, ever? It's all spontaneous, not planned. And uh, we both, uh, both sides know what I've been doing. I've been in research for over 35 years. They've been usually at what they're doing for at least 30 years and sometimes a little shorter We know what we're talking about. The education is so vital to you. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every special moment because it's somebody else's life too and the future generations. But Earth is whispering. Don't say goodbye because you don't want to take it with you. You want to leave something behind and even better. Immortality is very important to your footprint. I want to thank you for listening. You have a nice day and be well. Thank you.
thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 